All right. Well, just when you think the story is all about the ministry of Jesus, Jesus turns the tables at the very end there and helps us to see that the story is about him, but it's not just about him. It's really about all of us as well. We're going to talk about that this morning uh, as another of many expressions of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been working together through a sermon series, a message series called um, This is Love. And we began that series uh, back just after Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and it's going to take us up a few more weeks up through the 9th of June, which is Pentecost Sunday. And each week we're looking at a different aspect of God's love for people and how it gets expressed and experienced in our lives. So uh, before we do anything else with this passage from Matthew chapter 9, let me review the ground that we've covered so far over the last month or so as we've studied this theme of God's love for people. Here's the basic overarching message of the series. It, right, it comes straight out of John 3.16. God loves people so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. That's the overarching theme of this message. But Jesus came to do some very specific things. He came to express the love of God in some very specific ways. And so we've been drilling down week by week into some different dimensions or aspects of the love of God in Christ and how we experience that. We've come over the last several weeks to to see and appreciate that God loves people so much that he forgives our sins. God loves people so much that he conquers death for us and offers us eternal life with him. God loves people so much that he refreshes the weary. That was our focus last Sunday. And that brings us to our topic for this morning. God loves people so much that he heals the sick and the broken. He loves people. And we experience that love in a multitude of different ways expressed to us in the ministry of Christ Jesus, and it's meant to be experienced in a whole variety of different ways. So this story then in Matthew chapter 9 really serves to illustrate and to summarize the ministry of Jesus. You'll notice at the end of chapter 9 that Matthew, Matthew transitions from what was a very specific story about healing and deliverance to a more general overview, a summary statement, if you will, of what Jesus was all about. And right at the heart of that summary statement, we find that Jesus was constantly and consistently traveling from town to town, village to village, synagogue to synagogue, to declare the good news of God's kingdom and to demonstrate it by healing the sick. So this is the heart of Jesus' ministry. And I want to take you uh, right out of the gate this morning back to verse 36, Matthew 9 and 36, because here's what lies behind and beneath the ministry of Jesus. 
We can get, uh, you know, easily enamored uh, with the power of the Spirit at work in Jesus' life and ministry. We can be wowed. We can be astonished at the amazing miracles, the signs and wonders that Jesus performed. But as much as, as much as that it's okay, right, to be wowed by some of those things, let's not lose sight of what was behind and beneath all of that, which is the loving compassion of Jesus for people in need. So we read in Matthew 9, 36, again, in the context of Matthew's summary about the ministry of Jesus, this insightful statement. Think about this. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As I think about that verse and reflect on it, here's what I take away from it. Jesus healed the sick and the broken, which is what's described in the very, the verse 35, the verse just before this one. But he did it specifically as an expression of his loving compassion for people in need. Now, of course, he did it to demonstrate the presence of God's kingdom as well. There are other factors at play here that, are, that have to do with the healing ministry of Jesus. But what I want you to see reflected in verse 36 is the heart of Jesus' ministry. Not the power, not the wonders, but the heart of compassion. That was the motivating force behind and beneath the miracles of Jesus and specifically his healing ministry. In fact, the way I like to think of it, if I can be so bold as to say it this way, is that every single thing that Jesus did was motivated by love. Does that sound like it might be an overstatement? Well, if it were applied to any other person, it probably would. I mean, if you think about your own life and your own motivations for what you do or don't do, I think it's pretty safe to say that most of us fall short of a statement like that, right? We would not want to claim that everything we do is motivated by love. But that's what sets Jesus apart from us, right? He was one of us. He was a man just like like we are, a human being. And yet he was one in whom the presence of God was uniquely present and reflected. He was God in the flesh, the embodiment of God's love the personification of God's love. So it's not then out of bounds or inappropriate to say that everything Jesus did was motivated by love. And that is both love for the Father, upward love, and love for people, outward love. His entire life was devoted to loving God and loving people. You know, so when we come then to Matthew 22 and we find the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love, what, you know, what, what's the greatest thing he's asked uh, that, that we can do? What's, what, you know, what's the essence of the law and the prophets? Jesus says it's, it amounts to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's not just, you know, like sage advice, as if Jesus himself doesn't live it out. No, remember that when Jesus says this is what it all amounts to, He's the personification of that reality, that truth. 
He lives that out. The greatest commandment is, in short, a description of Jesus' character and life. So when we read an account like the one found here in Matthew 9, even though it doesn't mention the love of God specifically, let's remember what lies behind and beneath the story. God's love for people is what brought Jesus down to earth in the first place. God's love for people is what sent Jesus to inaugurate the presence of God's kingdom on the earth. God's love for people is what fueled Jesus' compassion for those who were harassed and helpless. Compassion is an expression of love. Compassion is a direct expression of love for someone in need. It's a deep inner feeling that's stirred by a genuine desire to help bear the burdens and meet the needs of others. It's a direct expression of love. So even though the word love is not mentioned in this particular passage, love is behind and beneath it all. Compassion is a deep inner feeling that's stirred by our desire to help bear the burdens and meet the needs of others. It's an empathetic concern for others' suffering, coupled with a desire to help and serve them. Let me give you just a little example of this. And it's, uh, I'm going to say this in the best possible way. Uh, I, I keep getting pestered, pestered by my daughter, Sophia, actually, who's back in the nursery. And she doesn't mind that I'm, that I'm talking about her because she asked me to share an announcement with you this morning. And the announcement is the pestering that I'm referring to, right? She keeps pestering me that we haven't been back to summer place. She keeps pestering me. When are we going to go to Summer Place, Dad? we got to go to Summer Place. And she's finally gotten so frustrated with uh, our lack of putting a date on the calendar that she and Gavin got together and said, okay, we're going. We're going this afternoon. Anybody else wants to come along? That's fine, right? So she wants me to announce to all of you that there are some teenagers going to Summer Place this afternoon to play with the kids and, you know... uh, if any of you adults want to come along, you're welcome to join them. I love that. That's, that's a beautiful thing, right? That's an expression of compassion that God has birthed in Sophie's heart or Gavin's heart, and they're eager to express it. They're eager to, you know, to let it bear some fruit, to see people's lives be touched. And my friends, that's what I'm describing about the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the love of Jesus in action. It's compassion for people in need. Jesus' love for people isn't just some abstract feeling of appreciation for them. It's a genuine care and concern for for people's well-being, consistently expressed by serving their needs, by touching them and changing them for the better. So think about the analogy then that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 9 and what it really represents. I think it's an amazing analogy to ponder. If people are indeed harassed and helpless, as Jesus suggests, like sheep without a shepherd, here's the question. Have you ever thought about this? Who's harassing them? Who's harassing them? 
Who's harassing you? Let's personalize it here. Is it other people? Or, or is it, could it be the enemy of God, the adversary of God, the devil himself and his minions? Frankly, I think, I think there's something to that. I think he is the one who's actively harassing people all around the earth, even the people of God. And sometimes he'll use other people to do it, right, as his instruments. So to be harassed is to have demands placed upon you by another that are controlling or manipulative or hurtful. And this is a term that we've become quite well familiar with, unfortunately, in our culture. Harassment has been big news lately, have you noticed? Particularly sexual harassment in the workplace and the whole hashtag MeToo movement. It's become huge, a huge area of social consciousness. So in that sense, the idea of harassment is not hard for us to get our heads around, right? Many of us have experienced harassment in the workplace from a boss or from another fellow employee or Maybe we've experienced it in in an academic setting from a teacher or a fellow student. But here's what Jesus is saying. Don't fail to realize that people in general are spiritually harassed by the enemy of God. And we're helpless to stop it apart from Christ. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The problem is many people don't even believe that the one who's harassing them actually exists. So this analogy pictures our vulnerability. There are powers that be that want to harass us and keep us helpless. We need protection. We need provision. We need guidance. We need a good shepherd. This means that we need Jesus to guide us and protect us from those who would attack us and devour us. And that's precisely what he came to do. That's what his ministry of healing and deliverance was all about. So, What are the results? Think about this idea of harassment, spiritual harassment, just a moment longer. And imagine for me the results of spiritual harassment in the lives of men and women. How does it manifest itself? What would you name it? How would you identify it? Well, I think that there are some different categories that we can think about here that are helpful to us and that help us understand the nature of Jesus' ministry. And so, of course, In one sense, the Bible indicates that sickness and disease are a form of harassment from the enemy, or at least they can be. Maybe not in every instance, but they certainly can be. The scriptures are clear about that. They're a result, right? Sickness and disease are a result of the sin and brokenness in the world that came from the fall of man originally. And so we see in scripture that before the fall, there was no sin or no sickness, no disease, And when Jesus comes again at the end of time to redeem all things and to make all things right again, there will be no sin or sickness or disease or crying or tears of any kind in the life that is to come, the kingdom that is to come. It's only in a fallen world where sickness and disease 
have a negative impact on people's lives. So there's a present then in those realities, an indication that there's another power at work against the power of the kingdom of God. Adversarial to the power of God and the kingdom of God. So when Jesus came declaring the presence of the kingdom, it was only natural for him to display the presence of the kingdom, to demonstrate the presence of the kingdom by healing the sick and delivering the oppressed. It went together with his declaration. In fact, I love the way that Peter sums up the ministry of Jesus in a description that he gives to Cornelius, the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter's explaining the gospel. He's explaining who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 10, verses 36 to 38. Peter says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace, shalom, through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around, listen to this, doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Think about the insight that Peter is revealing with that statement. Jesus went around healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, on this point, let me just pause momentarily to explain that healing has got a couple of different dimensions to it. It's important to recognize that Jesus' ministry of healing is not just for physical illness or disease. There's something we ought to understand and identify called inner healing as well. The healing of broken hearts, if you will. So when Peter says that that Jesus came to heal all who were under the power of the devil, that kind of healing is pretty broad. It, It includes the sick and the diseased, but it's broader than that. It includes those who are broken by the adversities of life as well. There's there's an internal form of healing or manifestation of healing that Jesus is just as committed to. You might might think, well, I'm a healthy person. I'm not sick. I'm not diseased. I don't need healing. But if your heart is broken, you still need healing. And there are many, many people around us who've been negatively impacted by the brokenness of life. So beyond physical sickness and disease then, think about the multitude of ways in which the enemy of God harasses people and you'll begin to get an insight into the the need for healing, inner healing. Think about some examples. Where do these feelings and emotions come from? Discouragement, loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, shame, doubt, unbelief, anger, bitterness, resentment. These these aren't just negative human emotions. These aren't just feelings that we have. They can be and often are the result 
of demonic harassment. So when we talk about the, the healing ministry of Jesus, let's make sure that we understand what healing is, that it includes inner healing as well, healing of a broken heart, healing of the things that damage the way that we think and feel. Healing can be internal, touching the hearts and healing the emotions of those who are broken. And sometimes that even includes delivering those who are afflicted by demonic powers. This type of healing is commonly referred to, as I said, as, as inner healing and deliverance. Just as important a part of the ministry of Jesus as healing the sick. If you think about the effects of traumatic experiences in others' lives or perhaps even in your own life, you'll quickly become aware that there are areas of brokenness in your soul that need a touch from God. Does, does God care about how we've been hurt? Does God care that, that we would experience healing from the negative impact of those experiences in our lives? You bet he does. Of course. Does God want to help us recover and heal from the brokenness of things that we've been through, the pain of things that we've been through? I believe he does. That's part of the healing ministry of Jesus. In fact, there are a couple of scripture passages, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, that foreshadow this ministry. And there are some examples in the New Testament as well. I don't have time to go through like an exhaustive list of all of them. Of course, I'm sure you're well aware that Jesus delivered many people from demonic oppression and affliction. But here are a couple examples that strike me in terms of the language that's used in Scripture. David wrote in Psalm 34, 18 and 19, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you know someone like that? Is that you? Psalm 147, 3 takes it a step further. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What kind of wounds are those? They're emotional wounds that have been inflicted upon us by the experiences we've been through. Isaiah 61, 1-3, the prophet Isaiah is foreshadowing the coming ministry of the Messiah. And Jesus, of course, spoke up in the synagogue to say that this scripture was fulfilled in him. This is what Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before the, the life and ministry of Jesus began. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Think about it. What, what's Isaiah describing 
What kind of healing ministry is Isaiah prophesying about? And how was it fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus? When Jesus read this passage in the synagogue, he stood up afterwards and he said, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he was saying loud and clear for everyone to hear, I'm the one who came to fulfill this passage, this prophetic passage. I'm the one that Isaiah was pointing to. I'm the one who's come from God to fulfill these words. I'm the one who will bind up the brokenhearted. I'm the one who will replace mourning with joy. I'm the one who will break the power of the spirit of despair over people's lives. All of these things are expressions of the healing ministry of Jesus, which is motivated by his love and compassion for people in need. And why do I emphasize this? Because sometimes I think it's easier for us to focus on physical healing. It's more ambiguous, it's more personal, it's more risky, it's a little uncomfortable to think about and talk about our need for emotional healing. And yet I want you to understand the heart of Jesus is to touch your broken heart. The heart of Jesus is to heal your damaged emotions. The heart of Jesus is to speak life and truth into those experiences that you've been through that have planted seeds of deception in how you think and feel. And friends, I've seen this work. I've seen it happen in the lives of people I know and care about. I've seen people receive prayer and have Jesus take them back in the spirit to a memory of a bad experience and speak his perspective into that memory. This is real stuff. This actually happens. This is, it's powerful. It's amazing. And God can bring deliverance and healing and freedom by the Holy Spirit to something that happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But the memory of it has plagued someone for decades. What does this mean for us? Why am, I, why am I pressing in on this? I want you to understand what the healing ministry of Jesus is and what all that it includes because we're getting now, we're getting now to the punchline of the message, right? The end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. I think I probably spent enough time, although there's more I could say, but I'm seeing the clock winding its way down. And so let me press ahead here and take you to the the last bit of chapter 9 and the first verses of chapter 10. Because here's where this gets personal for us, right? It's It's already personal in the sense that Jesus wants to minister these things to us. But what I want you to understand here is that Jesus also wants to minister like this through us, not just to us. He wants us to be ready to embrace the ministry of healing so that we can have this kind of impact in the lives of other people, right? So Matthew 9 ends with these words, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, this is one of those places, I got to tell you, where I almost wish 
that there were no chapter divisions in the Bible. I mean, honestly, let's, let's be you know, truthful about this. Maybe you don't realize that the chapter divisions were actually added later. They were not part of the original writing of Scripture. It's not like Matthew, when he was writing this, said, okay, now I'm going to start chapter 10. Right? Originally, it was all just one long letter, one long book, if you will. So the chapter heading is a little bit misleading because it can, it can create a sense of discontinuity between the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10. So I want you to just pretend for a minute that there's no chapter heading there, there's no break, because I want you to see the continuity between what Jesus challenges his disciples to pray for and then what he does with them next. Have you noticed this? So we come then to chapter 10, verse 1. End of chapter 9, Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. And then the very next words are these. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Hello? Do you see the connection here? They're the workers. I mean, it's kind of humorous almost that he says, well, I want you to pray that the Lord would send out workers. And then he sends them out. He sends them out. They're the workers that they were supposed to pray for. It's almost like, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't mean to suggest that Jesus is being tricky or underhanded somehow, but it's kind of humorous if you think about it, that he says, well, pray that the Lord would send out workers, and then he sends them out. Right? So you skip down a few verses. He names the 12. Matthew kind of rehearses who they are. And then we come to these words in verses 5 and following. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, what are you to do? What are they to do? Proclaim this message. This is going to sound familiar. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. There it is. Boom. The baton has been passed, spoken in the words of a track coach. The baton has been passed. Jesus is not just about the ministry of healing. He's about discipling people in the ministry of healing so that we, the body of Christ, can express the love and compassion of Christ to people in need. Right? And my conviction, and I think I could prove it from Scripture, especially if I had a little more time, is that this wasn't just for the 12 either. Right? This was for all of us. This is for the church. This is for everyone who identifies as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a calling. There's a gifting. There's an empowerment from the Holy Spirit that draws us into his ministry so that we represent him to the world in the same kind of ways that he represented himself to the world. So the point is, Jesus imparted, here's my second point here and final point, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> Jesus imparted his ministry of healing to his disciples 
But here's the catch. To heal more like Jesus did, we have to love more like Jesus did. To heal more like Jesus did, we have to love more like Jesus did. Friends, what, I, I want to just give you a big pat on the back and a word of encouragement this morning and say, we can do this. And anybody want to see more people get healed? I mean, wouldn't that be great? I do. I long for that. I've longed for that for years. When we pray for people, just to see the power of God touching people and, and healing people and delivering people, that's amazing. I've had just enough experiences of that to keep me asking, keep me praying, you know, keep me pressing in for more. But I often wonder myself, why is it that we don't see this more often? What's the rub? Where's the trouble? I remember years ago, uh, back in the, the late, um, when was it? Must have been early 90s. I went to a conference, uh, one of the earliest vineyard conferences that I ever attended. And I remember um, the teacher at one particular seminar was a man named Jack Deere, who used to be an associate pastor at the vineyard in Anaheim with John Wimber. And he'd written several books, or has since written several books, about the ministry of, of the power of the Spirit. And uh, the title of the seminar that I went to was 17 Reasons Why God Doesn't Always Heal the Sick. And, you know, it was very interesting, actually, and enlightening, and it helped to answer the question for me, why, why don't we see this happening as much as it happened in the life of Jesus? And yet, his point was, in spite of those 17 reasons, that God does still heal people through us as we pray for the sick, right? He wasn't, he wasn't trying to discourage anyone with that message. He wasn't trying to say, well, you should never really expect this to happen because there's just, you know, too many problems. No, he was, he was saying, when it doesn't happen and you're tempted to be discouraged, understand that there might be some good reasons, that it doesn't happen every time. We can't just name it and claim it. We can't expect that God's going to heal every person every single time we pray for healing. But God does still heal through the ministry of his people. So for example, I think of, and there are several verses we could look to here, but I think of John, uh, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There it is, right? Jesus is the one who does the healing, but he does it as we pray for one another. Isn't that amazing? And challenging. So the trouble here is that some people don't have faith for healing. They don't expect that God would still do something like this. It's too out of the box. It's too supernatural, right? And so there are some, even Christians, who don't believe that healing is still an active part of the ministry of the church, the body of Christ. They don't have because they don't ask. James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. That's one problem. That's one reason why people don't always get healed. But there's another problem on the flip side. I think that there are some folks, particularly in, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, that believe in the power of healing, but, but they're tempted to be enamored with the power of healing, Right? And the, the problem is that we can be drawn to the power of this experience and miss the love behind and beneath it. 
John Wimber himself in the early days of the vineyard wrote a whole book on healing called Power Healing. And I commend it to you as a great resource if you want to learn more about the ministry of healing in the church. Great stories, great examples, great theology, great biblical insight. But one of the challenges we have to overcome here, friends, is that that we have to share the love and compassion of Christ before we can share the power of Christ. My conviction is that we would see more power released if our hearts for people were transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus' heart. It was loving compassion, right, for people in need that was behind and beneath the ministry of Jesus. So what does that mean for us? I I think it means that we, we could heal more people like Jesus did, if we loved more people like Jesus did. Now again, there are other reasons that healing might not always happen. And that's a longer discussion, a longer teaching, uh, as the seminar by Jack Deere suggests. But this this is a key point for us to just pause and reflect on this morning as we consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. To receive healing, if you need it, is to open yourself up for a touch from God. To minister healing to others is to be the one who touches them on God's behalf. This is one of the reasons why we we practice the, the laying out of hands as we pray for people. It's a simple expression, and yet it's powerful because we're conveying the touch of God, God's Spirit at work in us and through us while we pray. We become, as we pray for others to be healed, we become a conduit of God's love and compassion expressed to them. We recognize and say yes to being one of the workers that God has called into the harvest field. To invite Jesus to work through you for the blessing and benefit of others is to embody his love. I want to close with a story, just a simple little example of how this can work. I I was surprised um, just uh, yesterday to receive word that someone had stopped by to see me the day before um, at our home in Hazlitt. And... uh, as it turns out, it was uh, a man who had previously been part of our congregation for a couple months. I won't tell you all of uh, the details about who he is or his name, but five years ago, he was a member of our church for about three months. And uh, he's actually uh, from another country and had to return to his country and hadn't been back to Lansing in five years, but finally had an opportunity to come uh, for a business trip, and wanted to, to, to visit and reconnect. And as we sat and talked, um, he began to share with me some adversity that he's been through over the last five years, some brokenness that's begun to impact, negatively impact his relationship with his wife and children, and um, his need for encouragement and for healing became evident very quickly. 
So I just listened. I tried to offer some encouragement, some insight. Most of all, I was praying for him even as I listened and offered to continue to pray for him. And what's very interesting to me is that he, at one point he said, you know, he, he reiterated something that he told me five years ago when he was here, coming to our church over a period of a couple months. He said, said to me yesterday, you know, I still don't believe in God, but I do believe in you. I he said, I appreciate what you've done for me, and I sense something different about you. And I said, well, you know what that is? That is God. That's the Spirit of God at work in me and through me. It's not me. It's not about me. It's not who I am. It's who He is in me. And that became the doorway for a deeper conversation about faith and about healing. So I, I offer that to you simply as, as an example of the kinds of opportunities that will cross your path. There are people all around us, friends, that are broken and that need healing. Some of us here this morning need healing. Let's invite the Lord Jesus Christ to touch us and to touch other, others through us. Amen? Let's pray.